0: Next to me is Diana Pilar Gonzalez and uh, I'm Johanna Schwab. I'm um, doing a project in New York City, which is called Refashion New York City. And I um, interview people who do inspiring fashion approaches. And I think Diana is one of them. So I'm happy you made it here to Flux Factory.
1: Hi, Diana. Hi, Johanna. I'm so excited to be here at the Flux Factory.
0: My name is Johanna. I will be living in New York City for the next six months. As a lover of fashion and its invisible power of words, voices, and questioning, I do what I like the most talk to people whose work and thoughts I find inspiring. This podcast is called Refashion New York City. I'm gonna say more about Diana Pilar Gonzalez. I want to introduce the Flux Factory we've been mentioning before. The Flux Factory is an artist residency space in Queens, New York. It offers affordable studios to artists from across the globe. I was lucky to rent one too. Besides that, Flux has a lot of public programming going on and is deeply engaged in making artist networks sustainable. Working there means meeting amazing people, and it was one of the best experiences I ever had. A time always rotating between funny, yummy, moving, and inspiring. Coming back to Gianna. It felt unreal. Years ago I contacted her, cause I read about her work and loved it, and we Skyped. Back then we didn't know that we would meet in person someday. Why I tell that? Because these days, I myself need to come to terms with the fact that life is unpredictable and also some good things just need a while. Jana has invented a project which is called Hacking Couture. In this project, she brings together fashion and technology after she learned some profound things while studying computer programming. For example, that programmers share their codes to educate other programmers even to let them build up on their inventions. Gianna, who is also a fashion lover, missed exactly these ethics in the fashion sphere and therefore created Hacking Couture. Hacking Couture is made to open, closed design systems to everyone. Or to put it more simply, Hacking Couture gives you the tools you need to create your own, let's say, do-it-yourself, Chanel-alike jacket. Sure, there's much more to it, and therefore I let Gianna do the talking now. First, as always in my fashion talks, the wordplay. I told you I'm gonna start with a wordplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just say a word, and you say a sentence or a word, whatever comes into your mind. Okay. The first word is wardrobe. Gone. Confidence. Vulnerability. Basic. Complex. Style. Destruction so fast DIY
1: formal must have nothing passion money (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) (laughs) detail oriented patchwork patchwork patience mainstream I have to say about patchwork it reminds me of my Aunt Melba in Panama she did patchwork what was the other one? the last one already it's mainstream
0: fun fun (laughs) Thank you You. Okay, yeah, like speaking of Panama You were born in Panama City Yes And um, then someday, like when you're grown up already You moved to Washington DC Now you're in New York since 15 years We had before in the talk Um, I wondered, is there a crucial fashion-related story You want to share You experienced somewhere you've been So far.
1: You mean in general? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the most important um, fashion story for me is uh, going with my mother, Eda, who is an amazing maker. And for me, she's my style icon. Going to her seamstress, Elena. And I was very little and we'll spend hours there. And I just remember just like reading the magazines and just being there and my mother getting her ideas like done for her. And, and I think that was really life-changing. And there was then, there was this whole culture around the, all these women being there and like going there, and yeah. So um, what did your mom get made there? Like special dresses or for everyday life? Uh, all of it, all of it. And I think Elena, maybe they were good friends also, and <laughs> maybe also confidant. And I think there was this whole relationship, and she made normal, like, regular, everyday and very special dresses, yeah. And this was a relationship for, uh, until Elena died Mm in the 90s, yeah. Did you have a dress of Elena, too, or? Of course, yeah. And also, um, uh, Mrs. La Señora Luisa, which she actually helped me, uh, it was so funny, because she's been making my costumes since I'm five or younger, and uh, I recently performed at the Panama Fashion Week, and she helped with the costume. Mm. I brought some stuff, I made some stuff, and she helped put it together. So, so those two relationships are really, really important. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, how did your love for fashion start? Is that with Elena, or do you have um, another story, maybe?
1: Yeah, well, I would say I think the love for fashion started um, with my mother, really, like, seeing how we would go and spend hours with the seamstress. There's a place in Panama, a store that it was called Telas Twiggy, and it was named after Twiggy, the supermodel. And then we'll just go there for hours, at least once a week, and looking at all these rooms full of creativity and also reading fashion magazines. I think that has a lot um, to do in why I love fashion. And, I, and now looking back, it was not about becoming w- the image in the magazine, but really empowering her everyday life and having all this retranet, all this community, creative community around fashion. Right. So I think those were turning moments that <laughs> all through my mom.
0: That's amazing. So, like, because that's not a very common story that you very early also realized that fashion can be community based or something. If I got that right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think like now looking back, I can I can say that, but I think that there's also a dark side to it, which is when I start became a teenager, uh, growing up, then body image became a thing mm. uh, that I didn't look like the women in the magazine. That I was not, you know, that I didn't have the body of someone really thin or that I didn't look certain way or I didn't look Scandinavian like most models are, right? So I think that was also another part of the story of this loneliness of not being accepted because I think fashion, it could have both sides of the coin. And I think today we're talking about fashion and it's about this connection and this beauty of building that community. So, um, so yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so maybe we can, like... Um
0: Make a here and then now come to Hacking Couture and yes. the way you engage in fashion. Yes. Um, maybe you can tell first for the people, because I'm bringing that to a yes. part of Europe. I don't know if you've been there before. I know if you've been to Italy for sure. But yeah. um, maybe
1: you could tell us what is Hacking Couture. So Hacking Couture is, uh, is an experiment. It's a fashion experiment that started in 2006. And the whole idea was to engage with fashion and develop these experientials. Situations in which I could engage with fashion within my own set of values. I know that really sounds really academic. I heard yesterday someone was like, "You sound so academic," and English is my second language, so I'm like, "I don't mean to sound academic," but maybe the project was born in academic context when I was at Tisch at NYU, and when I was at Tisch, I was learning programming. Uh, do to do circuitry and computers, but also with art. And I think that really influenced the project. So in Hacking Couture, in a nutshell, I reverse engineer brands, right? That's part of the developing a formal approach to branding. And then from there, I create a persona based on whatever I reverse engineer, let's say Chanel, right? Or let's say Gucci. Uh, and once I develop this character that I create, also the costumes with whatever is around me, then I facilitate workshops in which I engage a audiences that want to learn how to make something or that want to learn how to be engaged with fashion or that know about fashion but want to learn about an engaged culture and then within these workshops people learn people use recycled materials and they create their own versions of the brands and so yeah so that was a long-winded answer but that's what the project is about it's like how I could develop these experiments into how we can learn about fashion celebrate fashion but to do it um, in a way that is positive, that is community, and that also has uh, a curation. And maybe it doesn't have to do with
0: money, you know, like be, money being the entrance into um, brands like Chanel or stuff.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that you talk about money because money is a currency, but how can we develop new ways? Nice. And I, I'm, I'm not exclusive of, of making it not money or not monetizable, but in a way that. It's not just about consuming, going to buy, because the industry really does create a lot of waste. So, how can we create new ways of consuming fashion? So, thank you for saying that, because yeah. maybe consuming is the more precise term. Yeah.
0: Because there is a possibility to get mm-hmm. like runaway outfits at Zara or stuff. Um, yeah. So there's this two ranges, this very luxury and uh, luxury on the mm-hmm. one side, fast fashion on the other side, mm-hmm. but you have this. Um, an approach to fashion which is not about consume.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Well, uh, to quote a friend of mine, uh, John Halpern, um, it's a new consume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will fall under that umbrella into mm-hmm. how can we create new ways of consumption that have mindfulness, that have a new paradigm. So it's not just about I go by or I feel bad about myself because I don't have the latest trend or I feel guilty because I support fast fashion because I wanna be trendy, right? So it's like, how can we create a new paradigm? And I think uh, many artists uh, and also designers are starting to work in that arena and also how to make it organic and sustainable. So it is a broad thing, but I think having different artists engage in this conversation, you as well, that you are doing this sort of projects with recycle fashion and bringing art into it and making wearable art. other fellows, other friends, like Charlotte Gaspard has been doing that with her line C-Spot and uh, Wardrobe Breakdown, a, another friend, and, uh, yeah, anyways, I can go on, and there are many people working on that space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to come to that a bit later again, yeah. um, uh, because I um, have this, have my notes here. Yeah. <laughs> so, on your website, you share um, how, like, Hacking you Couture works and other works you do through lists Mm -hmm. lists which um, talk about the methods, like how to do something, one, two, three, or um, also the values and Mm -hmm. the goals, and I have um, I want to talk about a value and a goal I found very interesting, or two goals, like Mm -hmm. one value I found very interesting is design literacy, Mm -hmm. because I talk to some fashion designers here in New York um, who come from fashion school and they don't Mm want to be called designers anymore, they have a problem with that term so how I do, how to do they want to be called? Um what's that like more like a like a guide? Someone who's a guide or they want to be more artists or stuff? Or maybe clothes makers or something, that uh-huh. fashion designers uh-huh. like just a brief. It um, sounds like a spiritual guide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's a truth to it or <laughs>
0: um I wondered what is a designer for you and what do you want to teach about design? Because I think design literacy, it's such an interesting uh, thing. And
1: I, well, what is it? Okay, so, so why am I called a designer, if I hear you correctly? Mm-hmm. And if I like being called a designer? Mm-hmm. Well, I was trained as a designer. Originally, I come from architecture. And yeah, I'm called a designer because I'm trained as a designer. And uh, I think design is a service profession but also I delved into art because uh, I wanted to address problems that I were, was seeing and that were subjective to me. So although I work in art, I design methodology sometimes, but I also break it. And I think this is, this is why it's a hybrid of non-conventional uh, approaches to art and design. So that was the first question, right? Mm-hmm. And the second one is, why design literacy? So uh, I'm from Panama, and it's important for me, with this love that I have for design, for fashion, uh, because I think it gives a different perspective to the world and how we address, for example, traffic. In Europe and other other parts of the world, uh, design is embedded in the culture. I think we all have different ways of designing, but to be aware of it and to celebrate it, I think it could help us have better government. It could allow us to have um, better communication. So I've been working as a commercial experience designer um, for over a decade here in New York, and the collaborative aspect of design, I think, is something that we can borrow. And my love for fashion is not about the ways that it can create or, or, you know, all those bad things about the industry. is about the beauty, the the art, all the, those wonderful things. And I think we have to celebrate the good things. And I think in Hacking Couture, as much as it is a critique, it is also a celebration of fashion. So uh, it's just one vertical that we can learn from In that I want to communicate that beauty. That's why it's one of the values, uh, because design has been such an, important part of my life that I think has changed how I see the world uh, for the better. So mm-hmm. so I think perhaps sharing that with others is important.
0: Thank you. There's two more things I wanted uh, because I went through your goals too with Hacking Couture and there's two um, things I loved too and I wanted to know more about it. Mm-hmm. You say like one goal is to acknowledge the big, the small and the unknown. So
1: what does that mean? So I think that means acknowledging all the creativity that could happen. So you have big brands, Prada, Chanel, but you also have people, everyday people that just love putting themselves together, or you have the DIYer, or you have the crafter. So it doesn't matter how big you are. I think it's more of a democratization that everybody voices matter and everybody wears clothes. I mean, we're not in a society that people are naked. So I think that we have a conversation through our self-expression. And
0: also, like, one goal is that um, uh, hacking traditional fashion forecasting.
1: So when I participate, what do I learn? So this is, like, the designer part of me. Um, The way that fashion is produced is that there is a trend research, right? So um, trend researchers will go around the globe, document what we now call influencers, because I think a lot of trend research is being developed through Instagram, uh, but you will go and go to cool places and take photographs of these people or the designer, the creative director will have a hunch into what was the pulse of culture and go and document that. Um, so that's what dictated what we were. And now when hacking couture, I wanted to alter how those ideas were generated and elevate, so Instead of documenting somebody, what if you ask them or allow them to create a prototype of a concept of of their idea? So then we are having a conversation through design instead of telling people based on, on a dictatorship. It's like, oh, this is what I like. And I do believe that we do need some sort of curation because when I do hacking couture and people create things and I photograph them, or I presented, I have my personal curation around that. But I try to celebrate everybody's design at the same time. So in a way, it was altering, giving an alternative to traditional fashion forecasting. And this is something that I do in my work, when I'm working as an experienced designer, is like, how can we allow everybody in the team to express their idea, even if they're not good sketchers, or if they're not, quote unquote, perfect with Adobe Suite, right? So, um, it's to allow other voices to express although they might not have the skill and in, in, that's what I mean by hacking the forecasting to give power to other people to be part of the conversation and share their ideas thank you so, next page Yes, <laughs> there's
0: some technological terms you use um, from let's say the early days of internet and computing, mm-hmm. which are open source, hacking, and peer-to-peer. Um, and we were also talking about like the mix of analog and digital. Your project is, mm-hmm. um, and you you started something related. So how did this context come into fashion, or how um, or how did it come together?
1: Yeah, I think the place that it all collided was. Uh, being a tish at uh, at the ITP program at NYU uh, which stands for Interactive Telecommunications Program and I was learning how to develop programming and I had no idea how to program. I mean, I'm a, I'm a trained designer but I was really surprised that people were sharing their code as a way for allowing other people to learn how to code or to take an example, tweak it a little bit and then you could do something so through the act of copying and sharing literally computer code, you could advance and it wouldn't be that intimidating. So also the culture of open source in the technology world allows for that. So, uh, And there are different models of licensing code or other people can be egalitarian that they will allow you to use the code if it's for for something that is good in the world. So I think technology is actually a lot more open versus fashion because fashion is complete paradigm. And I feel it's also a personal approach because I usually combine things that are very far apart Uh, in my creative process. So I think seeing this juxtaposition of something so open and something so close was like, what if Fashion could be open like that. What if we could hack brands? What if they would be open? What would people's creativity and interpretation of that could be?
0: And also, um, hacking is uh, actually an umbrella term for very various phenomena, and uh, I'm not very good in understanding it. But what they have uh, in common is, like in a good or a bad way, that it's actually unauthorized, yeah. unauthorized. So I was wondering if you've ever been like or questioning is life, can I do that, is it allowed, or like, or, you know, like, yeah. was there a moment you're like, can I do that?
1: Yeah, so, speaking of the the word hacking, at the time, it was pretty early into how, when I started the project in 2006, I conceptualized it, 2005, it was still early on, cultural and societal uh, activist group, like, um, what's their name, oh my god, with the with the big Anon- uh, with anonymous uh snowden hadn't happened so it was it was more on the underground uh but now it's is part of the cygeist cygeist I, I think <laughs> that's how i pronounce it and at the time it was very liberating for me to to use that term because it mean hacking literally like cutting and pasting or, or it means like computer hacking and you see the movie Hackers and that's that was also pretty cool how they could tap into a network and I think that metaphor allowed me to, for my creativity to go further of thinking of these future scenarios, uh, that what we will call in the design world future scenarios. And I think right now I'm sticking to the name because why not? <laughs> and, it, it does have a negative connotation. Sometimes when I'm going through immigration and they ask me about what do I do as an artist, I'm like, should I say I do hacking couture? <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's, those are the moments that, you know, that makes me question because those are real and there are people who are not using it for good causes, although most hackers would say that they're doing it for good causes. But, yeah, it's provocative, it's new, and i the analogy gave freedom. And it scares some people because some people are like, you're hacking and you're copying and you're cutting. and So at least it allows for the conversation to start. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me also to make research
0: because I never was so interested in that topic, you know. And I started yes. with you. Yes. Okay, here's a cut, because actually we had this conversation live on Instagram. And from time to time, Gianna said hi to people that joined our broadcast. We just said hi to her mom when the sound crashed in. There's a bell. What is yeah, this there bell? There is a bell now. That's from the
1: Catholic Church. There's a Catholic Church. Yeah, so you know we're what in what is... Queens, New yeah.
0: York. And it's really funny because it's the sound the church makes. Around the corner of my parents' house in Germany. It's oh the my same sound. So you're
1: from Frank- Frankfurt, right? I'm
0: from Frankfurt, and it's the same
1: same mm. sound. And when I heard it first, I was like, what's going on, you know? That's so where I come from. So that's good branding through yeah. sound design. You know, the Catholic Church is yeah. uni- it's, it's, it's the code. It's is good branding, code. It's a good branding, a yeah. good branding. Yeah. Yeah. yes. And also Smell, I found
0: out, is a good branding. Which one? Because I've been in Boston, as I said, when I was six. Uh-huh. And I still in Boston, have... Uh-huh. It's still, when I sometimes walk the streets, like... Oh, this I remember from, the, from that time, you know, smelling
1: yeah. things. I need to figure out how to do a Hacking Couture perfume then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although perfume <and> we, sound. <laughs> we, we did the um, electronic etherealism and the digital perfume with Otto von Bouch, Tespina Papadopoulos, Sares, Katura, Symposium a couple years at Pratt. And wow. we were thinking about how to prototype. Uh, Alison Lewis was also there, people who are in the wearable and um, fashion innovation world.
0: Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> nice. Your mom's still there? Yeah, she's there. Hola. Yeah, actual... um, yeah. So about your method again. What are you looking to understand from a brand?
1: So specifically from a brand, I'm really trying to get to the essence. Like what makes Prada so unique? Like what is the identity? Like what is Chanel? Or at a cultural level, because I've started to do more work that Uh, talks about identity and culture is like what is panamanian culture like what's that um that movement like what makes it so unique the essence of something and that's what i'm trying to get with this analysis yeah and
0: i was wondering because or that's nothing i made up because you have some articles about about it on your website Mm -hmm. um so that Project also helps you to understand something about the ethics or of a brand like what is the perspective? Mm-hmm. the business model humanity, but also on humanity how do how are people perceive like gender uh-huh. race all that stuff um, so maybe that's not so easy to answer, but Where does that show in a brand?
1: Where does that show in the brand? Um, I think the themes so I developed these diagrams that show what I call the DNA or the code of a brand, and I think it, ha- it shows in the themes that they choose. So for example, if you look at Gucci, Gucci during Tom Ford was all about, in a way, s and and all these LGBTQ topics that were really on the underground of culture. Uh, now it's more about gender fluidity and youth culture, right, so I think that shows uh, some of the values and it, in fashion, it's interesting because fashion copies and borrows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, what is a trend versus what really are they standing for? But you also have brands, um, what's it called? Universal um, uh, is is the brand that has no sizes, mm-hmm. right? So I think these executions really talk about the value or what they're celebrating. Yeah. Um,
0: so, we are often, uh, like with fashion, in between, or like there is a fine line or not a fine line. Uh, there is a topic of cultural opri- appropriation and all the, the problematics that evolve around that, but also remix culture. Um, is there something like, um, if you find out that something is actually, you feel like it's not cool what they are doing, you know, um, appropriation-wise, do you address that? or? How do you deal with that, because there are special, like Gucci also, and, yeah, um... Yeah, with the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how do you deal with these topics? So that's that's a great point. I would say, I mean, I'm obviously appropriating with this work. It's about remix culture. I don't have a problem with it, as long as if somebody makes a mistake. So for all that are joining us, uh, we're talking about when Gucci appropriated a burka, Right, which in the Muslim world it's it's it could be oppressive for it is oppressive to women, although some women follow that religion, so they choose to live that way, other women don't choose to live that way. So it seems that Gucci appropriate that. There's another example, for example, Nike did this whole Puerto Rico line and they were actually appropriating ethnic um, uh, native culture from Panama. So the reference was wrong. So I think if you make a mistake when appropriating, which I think it's going to happen no matter what, because, and this is also part of my exercise in mapping the code, so we all know each other what, our, what culture, what design is, what is what, uh, that we can say, I'm sorry, that we call on each other uh, Diet Prada is doing that, you know. Diet Prada and Instagram is a, is mapping appropriation and who's copying what. Um, but I think saying I'm sorry, it's the first step. If you if you were culturally offensive, but also I think to call it out and to say to somebody, I think that you did an error. This is not how. This is not the right reference. And to do it with respect, also, but not to not to troll on somebody.
0: Thank
1: you. Yes.
0: Okay, here we have the same reason for the cut. Saying hi to the live TV crowd. Also saying hi to Gianna's sister-in-law, who watched us from Panama. Hola Venus, I love you. But back to topic. Age-wise, Hacking Couture reached puberty. Um, This year, you've been to the Fashion Week in Panama City. Uh You were invited. Yes. I hope I'm right. And uh, Milan. Yes. Yes. Did the perception of your project change in these 13 years?
1: Yeah, because I've changed Mm -hmm. and I've continued to execute the project with different angles and different areas. So on one end, I think I've learned how to make it more accessible because the language I personally was using was very academic. I got that feedback a couple of times and people are like, what is this hacking and Deconstruction and appropriation. And I think what happened at the Milan Design Week, showing it in the context of a design festival, and also the show was curated by a journalist, Laura Traldi, and she brought in different projects that were addressing collaboration. So to bring it outside of fashion, but in a design place, and also hosting the workshop there, it inspired me to hack Prada. And also bring my own values and the things I'm celebrating nowadays in, in 2019 as a woman, as a, as a Latina here here in the United States and as a Panamanian. So it brought a lot more of my personal story and I wanted to celebrate um, the contribution of Italian design, um, specifically of Muccia Prada because it's one of the few women designers that has a successful business. And I think this project is also about learning from these stories and using that as an inspiration for doing something that I can contribute as well. Uh, And in that process of going to the Milan Design Week, as I was researching the code of Prada, I come across this song and it was called Niguchi ni Prada and it's a Panamanian singer and the song is a reggaeton, urban music. It was just so amazing and he was talking about how, how this woman is in love with him, although he has no money and he cannot give her nor Gucci. Ni Prada,
0: but go on, Diana.
1: Music and culture into how people use these fashion brands in a popular way was really important. And when I found out that the artist was from Panama, I was like, wow. So then, once I was invited by the curator in, and, and producer of Panamanian Fashion Week, I was like, this is a really weird place to have an exhibition because you are in Fashion Week. uh, And in Panama, you have products next to you, you have a clothing line next to you, and then you have the runway. So I was like, it's weird, but I belong there. So I invited uh, Kenny, the singer, to do a performance live and to see how our Panamanian vision of fashion, how he uses in music and in pop culture, those hashtags almost, like Prada and Gucci, and how I reinterpreted. So it was the first time I came in a real performance, and I had this character that was half Prada, half Rakataka, and I'm wearing the t-shirt, and, <laughs> and uh, a Rakataka is, it's a person uh, that is from the hood, that it's like low culture, and, but I love it, and And then this character allowed to give a different spin because the people didn't have to consume the project in an academic format. They just saw the performance and saw the pop-up exhibition, and then they, boop, it, it connected. So it was not about explaining, it's about experiencing. When I do the workshops, People also get it because it's an experiential. But anyways, this is a long-winded way to say how the project has changed and how I've been able to engage more audiences with a low um, expectation for an academic understanding. Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay, here we had a classic Wi-Fi problem, but we solved it and we were able to continue our talk we were talking about you making long-term projects and also making them available for people who come on your website and be interested or interested in your approaches or in your methods. So, uh, mainly you share your methods. Um, And I was wondering if that is to do with your design uh, way of thinking or something.
1: Yeah, so... I've read a lot of self-help over the years and I really love, I think this is why I love DIY because I love to understand how people, you know, because you see this, okay, so you go to a gallery or you see a final piece and it's like, how did you do this, right? So I think breaking down the process and understanding people's processes, either in terms of intellectual matters or design-wise or how they sew their stuff. Helps me understand the world. I didn't choose to work in long format. It's just it happens because of the nature of the type of projects. And they be, they can be made. It's not that I'm doing a painting. Mm-hmm. Some people are calling it social sculpture. Other people. And it's not that I sat down and I said, I'm going to do a participatory project. It's just happened that way. And, and yeah, I think the more I talk to artists, designers that are working with projects that are are multimedia or complex, it takes time. So in terms of what you see on my website, of why I structured it that way, I don't know. I thought it was like an interesting way to go about it because sometimes I see people's project and I'm like, what was behind? Like I want to learn a little bit more. I don't know if that's for everybody, um, but I think it's also it was a creative way of approaching my website because it's like, oh, why did I do, it makes me think, right, of the why, and sometimes I have to think of the why post facto, because it comes from a creative impulse, and that helps me do that, so it's also a way of streamlining the writing, so it, it, it's, it's an exercise mm-hmm. for, m- mm-hmm. for myself, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um I was also interested in how you personally draw the line between your design and your artwork, you know? What's art and what's the design part of
1: Jana? Yes, so um, I think I'm very attuned with the design language. So as an aesthetic, I like it. Also like it as a process, but also I'm completely chaos uh, when it comes to creativity. And sometimes I just need to ride the wave and I just need to do things in ways that are not organized. It's interesting because in commercial, Um, settings, they're not used to that. And sometimes you need to break down traditional ways of doing things so people get creative. So with the last commercial client that I was working with, we had meditation in the morning and we did movement and we questioned and it was like it really got people off base, but there's nothing worse for creativity that is getting stuck in a routine. I think a routine is helpful, but when you're getting stuck, uh, so I think that's how I'm, I don't know if I managed to mediate it successfully because sometimes I'm like, just just go away, let's just sit down and do it the same way. But other times following uh, our understanding certain methodologies and approaches is very helpful and, it, and it's a guiding principle. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Thank you, I have two more questions, they are more general. Um, This one question is maybe a question that has been asked over and over again, artists. Um, But I feel like if you're sitting in front of someone, that's something I always want to know.
1: So, where do you get inspired or when? So, I get inspired, I would say, commonly in three places. When I'm taking a shower, when I'm meditating, although I'm trying to get them thoughts out, and when I'm dancing.
0: Hmm. Or And how does it function for you? You have to write it down then? Or how do you keep it? Or, or is it just a feeling? It...
1: So sometimes it comes just like as a nudge. It's like, do this. And I was like, oh my God, you're being really clear whatever (laughs) intelligence is out there or um and I write it down other times I ignore it that's when I get in trouble when I start asking other people it's like what they think uh also another way is when you share something with somebody and then they say something it sparks an idea um but Yeah, that's how I keep track. I have to write it down and they say that you have to write down everything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Yeah. Okay, so the last question for for now is like what are you looking forward to do next? I think to do next is to you mean in what aspect? Tech practical, you share tactically, here. or conceptually or um mm-hmm mm-hmm mm-hmm.
0: Or something you want to bring into life on your shows?
1: So, there are two things I want to bring to life, which is to, to be more playful with hacking couture and with all my projects, to really enjoy myself. Uh, I would love to bring to life this hybrid that is commercial, that, has, that is uh, self-sustainable. And uh, that can also be interesting, and aware, and inspiring, and that can do things differently. So it's specifically with Hacking Couture and do more collaborations. And also the Water Project and Mirror Dancing that I've been working on uh, for a couple of years now. And Mirror Dancing is uh, it's something that is so liberating and to work maybe in sculpture format but serving the purpose which is to dance in in terms of water is bringing more awareness to the importance of water that I personally need to be reminded myself of all the great things that we have in life and uh, and also from a cultural perspective of what's our relationship with water uh, that's my <laughs> Christmas list of yes yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes yeah Thank you, Jana. Thank you, darling. Yes, yes,
0: (laughs) yes.